1: What's up, everybody? My name is Jay Helms. I'm the founder of the W2 Capitalist Podcast and Movement. We are here to help you build wealth through real estate investing while you earn, invest, repeat your way up to the corporate ladder. Today's guest is a special guest. Uh, I had him at the W2 Cap Summit a couple of weeks ago. He and I share a mission to help Operation Underground Railroad, uh, Mr. Bill Allen. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, I got to a story for you real quick. You may not know this. Uh, you used to live in Pensacola. You still invest in Pensacola, right? It's kind of where you got your start. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. Okay. I live in Nashville now, but yeah, Pensacola for like the first five years.
1: So the very first RIA meeting I went to, again, I'm an introvert, right? And I, I don't like big crowds or whatnot. You came up to me and introduced yourself. And I was like, all right. I can check that box. I met somebody here. I'm going to go, uh, go away now. Right. So, uh, that's, you may not, you probably don't remember that. Uh, but you were well on your way to doing blackjack, uh, real estate and then, and then getting into this seven figure flipping, which we're going to talk about a little bit, but what, let's just start at the very beginning, right? So four or five years ago, was it six years ago when you start? No, it's later, longer than that.
0: Yeah. So I started, um, kind of flipping houses about seven or eight years ago. And then from there, I, it was just one house a year for a while. And I started kind of ramping up my business, uh, probably five years ago. So kind of growing. So that's probably when we met probably about five years ago, 20, 2014, 2015. 2014, something like that. Yeah.
1: I believe it was. Yeah. Cause I was not interested in, in real estate investing at all until then. And, um, when you say ramping up, holy cow, have you ramped up right? You went from doing one or two properties a year to now over 200 deals a year, right? And that includes flipping and also wholesaling. And you're not just in Pensacola and Tennessee, or you you live in Nashville, but you invest in in Tennessee and Pensacola as well?
0: Yeah. So uh, I started in Pensacola. I was a military guy. So I kind of, you're right, ramped up from doing one deal a year. We did like almost 70 deals the first year. And then we did uh, 135 after that. Then 187. Then we we do somewhere in the 160 to 170 range now. So that's okay. kind of the the size of the business. Um, I have about 15 people that work for me. So we're in Pensacola, we're in Nashville, we're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're in um, we went into Huntsville, Alabama. A couple like little areas of Kentucky. And now we kind of just cover the southeast. We've done a couple deals in Atlanta, a couple in Memphis, and just if stuff comes up, we'll we'll do the deal. And we'll try to figure out how to get it done. So I, you know, it's interesting that you you mentioned that. I don't I don't necessarily remember that. Uh, RIA meeting where we met, but I do remember exchanging some emails after that, like kind of, uh, Hey, I want to do a deal together. or have the thing under contract Will you let, uh, I want to borrow some money, stuff like that. So we, I, I if I go back to the archive of that uh, <laughs> early, uh, I could probably find a pretty interesting email exchange between you and I. So uh, I remember it, uh, not exactly what we were doing, but something like that. Like you had a deal under contract and you were looking for some funding. And I think we started talking about that. If you, is that right? remember that?
1: I do remember that. Um, I think it was a a buddy of mine. I'll find it. Yeah. It was a buddy of mine who I want to say you ended up doing a deal with him, but I was trying to help him out because he had this property, long story short, he had this property. He didn't want it anymore. He just wanted to get rid of it. And I think you, you ended up doing a Mm. deal with him. Uh, and that was a couple of years ago that that all happened. But I, I can tell you, you know, from that very first interaction you and i both have grown you've exponentially grown I, i'm hoping to uh as i put in the message the other day to you uh, i hope to, to follow your in your footsteps uh and then you had some color commentary back at me with uh, how many jobs you've got and all this good stuff <laughs> so uh but it doesn't feel like work right because you're able to focus on this mission of helping people out not just uh operation on the railroad but helping people understand how to flip a flip a home, you know what to look for, how to wholesale a property, that sort of thing, right?
0: Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. I always say like when I was flying airplanes and helicopters for the Navy, I said I'm going to keep doing this until I stop having fun, and I'm st- I still get to do it, and so I'm still having fun doing it. So it doesn't feel none, none of this stuff feels like work, and if it does, I think you know you got to kind of follow your passion. So I love. Doing what I do, and in the beginning, it was about the houses. Like I really did love swinging the hammer um, and doing that stuff with the houses, but um, I kind of got kind of got past that. I I really love now the team and the impact and stuff like that that we can make. So that's uh, that's where I spend most of my time now is kind of on the leadership, uh, personal development side with my staff and my team and building that out. And that that doesn't feel like work at all. Like that's so uh, when you make an impact on somebody else, whether it's a seller or a buyer or or your staff, um, I think that's really where we get a lot of our um, I don't know. It kind of fills us up, right? At least it does yeah. for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it is extremely re- rewarding. Uh, you know, I, I, I was about to say I coach, I used to coach a uh, sales team and my focus was on growing them as individuals because I felt like if I did that, then they would excel at what they were there to, right. Uh, to sell those products. And it was, it was, we were, we were doing really good. This, this COVID stuff just got us, but, um, But yeah, it's, it's growing individuals. And it's funny you say that about when you first started, you wanted to swing the hammer and you want to do all this stuff. Most people that I talk to, uh, when they're starting out, they do that same thing, right? They seem to follow a similar path as everybody else. And they want to manage their own properties. They want to swing the hammer. They want to do the rehabs. And as much as I can tell, obviously I'm not have the, the right messaging to where they understand, right? That, uh, That is not necessarily the path you have to go. Maybe do it once. Maybe do it twice, just to to kind of get the experience. But don't necessarily think that you have to do that, right? Um, Do you run into that a lot? Yeah, you know,
0: I yeah, I do. I I agree with that. I also, you know, I think that I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it. Personally, I I think we all are kind of on our journey. There's, I think that's just for me at least, you know, my background being an engineer, doing all the things that, that I've done in my past. It's like, I, I don't know. I feel like I needed, I need to learn things before I do them. It's, it's a problem that I've had my whole life pretty much. Like I'm very, I, I want, just want to know what's going on. I want to understand it. Like right now I'm, I'm diving into like Facebook advertising and marketing and doing all this <laughs> stuff and I'm testing little things and, and, and I have a team and a staff that does that, but I'm like running my own ads almost in competition to them because I want to get better. Like I want to figure out, how, like, I need to learn that stuff in order to make sure that I hold those people accountable. I don't have to be really good at it, but I have to know the concepts, but I, I don't feel like we always have to do that. So it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like a catch 22. So for me, I, I definitely push people away from swinging the hammer, but I think when we're getting started, like, if that's something that you want to do and you want to learn how to do it, um, do it like, don't be just because everybody says, Oh, you've got to build this huge team. And you got like, this guy's got 15 people that work for him. He does hundreds of deals. Like, that's, that's all well and good, but I did, definitely didn't start that way. So yeah. a lot of times we're not necessarily relatable once we grow and scale. But in the beginning, I was the guy who was going to Home Depot back and forth. And what I figured out was I don't want to do that. I know a yeah. lot of people that really like doing that. So that's okay. Like Everybody, your, your business and your life should be by design, should be doing what you want to do. And the journey that you are going on is part of, of, of what you need to get to your destination. So yep. looking back, like I wouldn't have changed a thing. And yeah, there's a lot of people where, but once they get to doing like 15 or 20 deals a year, I I will start slapping their hand and saying like, stop going to Home Depot and doing these $10 an hour tasks or putting lock boxes on your house or things like you just, you shouldn't be doing that at that point, unless you absolutely love walking the halls of Home Depot. And if you do, then okay. Like that's something that just like emotionally fills you up Then fine. But I I didn't. So I was able to, I got, I enjoyed doing it at the time but it's really what started to frustrate me. So yeah, I totally agree.
1: All right. So now we're back, right? So we, for those of y'all listening, we had a little bit of a technical glitch. We think we worked it out hopefully, but, um, I'm more of a Lowe's guy myself and I do feel comfortable. I do just like exploring the, the aisles. Uh, I don't know why. I kind of wish I had one of everything. some you know, reasonably close, which the Lowe's is like a mile away anyway. Uh, yeah, I think you, you do, you get the experience and then you move on, you know, don't get called into a trap of, uh, being the guy that's got to put the lock on the door or being the guy that's got to you know, swing the hammer that sort of thing. Uh, the question is, when do you know to scale, right? I'm in the same boat, right? Up until last week, I was to a point where I'm growing this business. I'm growing uh, our investments but at some point in time I had to invest, uh, invest in people. And, uh, now that I've got a little bit more free time on my hands, I'm investing in myself, right? More. But eventually I'm going to hit this point where I've got to take the leap and do some investing in the business. At what point in time did you realize that in your flipping business or your wholesaling business that, Hey, I've got to hire person number one, right? Well,
0: yeah, for me, I think it was pretty easy. I think it's, and I wouldn't say easy, like it's not an easy decision, but I got pushed into it. So I was a full-time Navy pilot. I was flying 10 or 12 hours a week or 10 to 12 hours a day. So every day, five days a week and one weekend a month, I would have to leave and and fly somewhere and be gone. So I, and I was going to start marketing. I was going to start doing, I wanted to grow a business and I knew I couldn't do it by myself. So what I did was, Uh, I hired my first assistant. I just had to, I needed somebody to answer the phone. So I got kind of, you know, pushed into that. I think for those people who already have something they've uh, created it themselves, they've started to grow something on their own. um, I don't think you're ever really ready. I think if you're asking yourself, like, maybe I should hire somebody. the, The answer is probably yes. I always recommend people hire a little bit ahead of their needs because if they wait too long to hire somebody, you're probably like hamstringing yourself and holding yourself back. So what, what I try to tell a lot of folks is just assess what you're doing. And if what you're doing is tasks that can be, and and are you turning things down? Like, are you stunting growth? Are you saying no to deals because you can't handle it? Are you just maxed out with your time? And I remember one of my mentors uh, used it like this cup analogy. He's like, just think of, think of you, you're a cup and you're filling that cup up with water and that cup is overflowing what you need is you just need another cup to start catching some of that water. And eventually you can kind of dump out some of your cup into that cup. And then it allows your cup to be able to have some more capacity to continue to grow and, and get filled up with some kind of higher level things. And then eventually that your cup's going to fill up and their cup's going to fill up. So you're going to have to dump your cups into another person. And that's what I did. I just like hired one person. We, we kind of outgrew our capacity and our ability and then I would hire another person and then one more person, but it wasn't like going out and hiring five or six people right away. So right. that's my biggest recommendation to people is really like challenge them to, to push them to hire a little bit ahead of the need. Cause if you wait too long, um, you're always going to say, I, I, A lot of people say like, I'll hire somebody when, and usually it's when I make this amount of money, when we make yeah. more money, but you're not going to make that more money unless you start offloading some of the lower level tasks to somebody and allow yourself to grow and expand, basically delegate and elevate yourself and your time. So I, I would say, I don't think it's, if, it, if, you don't, if you don't have the money to pay somebody for six months straight, then, or the, uh, the business to roll in where you're confident that you can make a commitment like that, that's kind of where I, I tell people, like if, if you only have a month's pay for somebody, I wouldn't recommend going out and hiring somebody right. or you, can't, you can only see a month down the road until your bank account's dry. So what I did was I, I put aside six months of expenses for like marketing and staffing, my staff, that, that one woman that I hired. And I knew, and I told her like, hey, I've got six months, let's go do it. And it took four and a half months to do our first deal together. So, um, you know, had I only had three months of expenses lined out, I wouldn't be where I was right now. So wow, that's, that's my recommendation.
1: Thing. That's incredible to think about. And that first deal was a wholesale deal or a flip? Yeah.
0: So we, I was flipping a little bit already. So I had, like I said, I was doing about a flip a year. So I was still doing a couple, like a flip or two here and there. And that like, that was my marketing kind of machine ramping up. So I started sending gotcha. some direct mail getting leads, uh, going directly to seller, not relying on the auction or uh, realtors and things like that. Once I really learned what wholesaling was and the off market possibilities, it took, uh, from like starting my, starting that person on pay to, um, to getting our first wholesale deal was four and a half months. So she was putting lock boxes on houses, turning on utilities, doing some of that stuff for the like two flips that I had going on. Right. Um, so I did have a little bit of other work for her to do. And she was also doing the bookkeeping. Uh, she was doing, she was answering the phones. She was running the CRM, doing all that kind of stuff. So um, just write down the tasks that you're doing right now and, and figure out what you can offload. That's the yeah. best way to hire that first person. And it's, it, it seems like a big leap to go from like nobody to one person. That's the biggest leap after that you get hooked or you're addicted and watch out because <laughs> your growth can be exponential. I think it's the same thing in the real, with the real estate investors, yeah. you go from never doing a deal to doing one deal. Like that transition is so hard and so big. Like once you check that box that you've done a deal from one to a hundred, it just becomes a lot easier. It's that yeah. zero to one, same thing with employees and staffing.
1: Yeah. You, you stole my line. I was sitting there starting to connect the dots. I'm like, wow, what you're talking about is and it, it happened for me. I'm sure it happened for you. When you do your first deal, it, it seems like an eternity from zero to one, and then from one to whatever the number is now. You're like, "Wow, this is, this is so easy." So that's a mental mindset I've got to get over. Uh, so I'm, you know, kind of not reinventing the wheel, but circling back to that concept, um, you know, in, in doing that. So let me ask you that. You know, we're recording this May the sixth. Um, we're in the middle of this COVID thing right? There are uh, states opening back up. There are, you know, everybody's got a prediction, right? Uh, You know, Airbnb just announced yesterday that they're laying off 25% of their staff, which is like 1,900 employees. And then, um, you know, Zillow made this recommendation that house sales are going to plummet 50%. And then uh, price drops are going to be 2 to 3%. I don't know how they get to that math. Also, like to pick on Zillow and how inaccurate they are. But in your mind, or in you, and not in your, just your mind, but as you're doing research, I know you guys do a lot of research on the different markets you're in and keeping, keeping your finger on the pulse, so to speak. Where are we now and where are we headed in the next six to eight months? What's your oh, crystal man. ball telling you? you as you're smiling me, I, ear to I, ear, man, what's your
0: crystal ball showing? Yeah. <laughs> A totally loaded question put me on the spot. So, um, you know, it's interesting. I think, uh, of course, like we had a buying season and selling season of real estate that kind of like took a pause in a lot of States. So, and people aren't putting their houses up on the market right now. So uh, I think as a house flipper, it's great right now. So we have for every, and we do, we do a lot of research in our markets. And so for every house that sells, we have this, we still have a demand for houses and they're selling only about half a house comes back on the market right now. So what that does, we already had uh, like a under two month supply of houses, which is really low. It's so still a kind of a seller's market, right? And so when a house sells and only half a house replaces it, what do we, we, we just have less inventory. And so what we still have the a demand, people need to move the, you know, People, a lot of people do still have jobs, right? Or they're, uh, the way that I look at it is, people are probably like cooped up in their house, trying to think like, what's the thing that they're going to do when they get out of their quarantine? <laughs> yeah. um, this house is too small for me. I'm sick of it. I hate this. I hate this floor plan. I hate all this. I I have to work from home. I don't have a home office. You know, I, the way I look at it is, I think we, it makes sense that ha, that uh, in Zillow talking about like the number of house sales. So when you look at it like that, of course we're not going to sell as many houses this year. I mean, it makes sense. Now, should that drive down the pricing of the houses? That's a whole nother conversation. And I I don't see how it's necessarily possible that that's going to happen when people are just, and keep in mind, I am in a, I'm in markets where they're, they're a little bit more aggressive for kind of going, like I went to the gym this morning in Tennessee, Tennessee, May 1st, Tennessee opened pretty much uh, restaurants are half capacity, daycares are open, uh, the gyms are opened up, uh, uh, the chiropractors are open, the dentists are starting, like stuff like that is starting to happen here in this state. I know Michigan is still shut down all the way and uh, Maryland and California and New York, obviously totally different, right? It's very local. So I don't know, my feeling right now is that I think as as like us in real estate, I just don't necessarily see how this is going to happen. Now when the forbearance starts. Uh, rear in its ugly head, potentially, you know, three months, six months from now, um, depending on if they tack on these payments on the back of the loan or they're, um, they're getting kind of like this bulk, like you've got to make a payment of three months because 90 days goes by really fast. And they, we still don't have those answers, which is very interesting. So I don't know. For me, I'm, what I love is I love to take in the current data that we have and analyze it and make adjustments. And then in the future, like look at tripwires and contingencies to determine what I'm going to do. I haven't laid off any of my staff I haven't changed any pay structure. Um, I haven't adjusted my marketing right now. We still spend over $40,000 a month on marketing because I want to be the guy that when people start coming out of their houses, so they start like, I want to have deal flow. We saw our deals in, in April. This is real-time data, like as of today. We usually do about 15 houses a month. We did nine in April, but we have 22 right now in May. So like, basically what we did was, it's just kind of like moved stuff to the right. We just kind of moved another month. So I I see, I saw buyers kind of like, so I'm in the wholesale market primarily, right? And our flips are first time home buyers, like three, two brick ranch, 1500 square feet, $170,000. Like we don't go over 300,000 ARVs. So in that world, like there's still a huge demand and the demand is even, even more right now because nobody's putting their house on the market. People are still moving. People still want to buy another house. They're still looking. They're still out there. Like if we had inventory right now, if I had houses in the $150,000 range in Pensacola, we would have 20 showings the day we put it on the market. That's just what it would be. So it's, it's very different in lots of different. I'm, I'm personally putting a $700,000 house that I own as an Airbnb, which is, it's fully booked through May, fully booked through June. Uh, it makes $15,000 a month in those summer months. And I'm putting it on the market just to see right now. Like I feel like the spring buying season is going to move to the summer right now. Like people are still going to want to move before their kids transfer schools and do all that stuff. Right. And I, I think there might be a transfer of population from the Northern areas, like Michigan, New York, some of these places down to the States like Tennessee and Florida and the, the, the Southern States. And there's still this transfer of people. So, um, I, I don't know. I, uh, I don't have a crystal ball. I, my, My inkling is like for right now, nothing is necessarily changing. We're, we're trying to buy a little bit deeper. If we make sense, the sellers are still not, not like taking huge haircuts. The buyers want the huge haircuts just because they see blood in the water, but the sellers are still not, they're like, there's, there's nothing that, that indicates the fact that we should, we should be making an offer 20 or 30% less on their house than what it was yesterday. Um, I think my business is still as great as it was last, last month or two months ago or three months ago. I think that the, I don't know. The real estate market is kind of like the last in first out in this. I think that's kind of just my feeling. So multifamily, like people are, most people are still paying their rents in our buildings. Um, our tenants and the single family stuff are still paying. It's, I haven't seen, um, huge impact personally now. Um, other people are probably going to have a different feeling of it. I'm very much like real time data. Give it to me. I don't watch a lot of the news. I don't read a lot of, um, I don't read a lot of the, the, the headlines because all it does is, is breed fear in, yeah. in my mind. So uh, I would say uh, if you, my, my prediction, if you want a prediction, which I hate giving, <laughs> is that um, I really do think that like our houses that are vacant, that are fixed up, they're nice and they're priced right. Are going to continue to move, and I, I'm not concerned in flipping houses right now. Uh, it may be a little bit easier to find houses on the market. We may see some a little bit uptick in foreclosures a year and a half from now in some states that are faster on foreclosure, like Florida. Just take like three years for me to get an REO from this, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or a year and a half. <laughs> it's like crazy. And they just won't pay their mortgage for another year and a half and still not be in foreclosure. So, um, but in other States, it might be a little bit faster where maybe you see some more deals on the MLS. It might be a little easier to find some properties and, and deals. And maybe the wholesalers are, uh, I, the, some people are moving out of the marketplace. And last two, three months ago, we're complaining about competition. Right now we're complaining a, about a pandemic. So there's always something, there's, <laughs> there's always something. some event that's happening that's causing us to, to try to figure things out. So, for me, I don't know. I I may have to become a property manager. I may have to become a a bigger house flipper. I may have to wholesale a little bit less, or my wholesale business might take off because like right now the demand for the buyers are realizing that their pipeline is starting to dry up Mm -hmm. and because they put, put a pause button for a month and they're going, Oh crap, bill. Like, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? And we assigned like six contracts this week because of that. So, um, we saw them kind of hit the wall and go, Oh crap, what's happening. And now we're seeing them go, wait, this doesn't, I don't think there's a problem here. I need, I, I, I'm a full-time house flipper. I can't stop buying. Like they have to realize that they can't stop buying because that's how they make money, unless yep. they're gonna quit and go do something else. So um, there's somebody flipping houses and making money in, in every market, up up markets, down markets, anytime. In 2008, when the market was crashing, there were people making money. They're just doing things a little bit differently than the people who aren't. So that's where my mind's at. If a uh, long-winded answer to, I'm like you and I have no idea. <laughs>
1: No, I appreciate the long winded answer. You, you've said a lot of stuff in there. I want to unpack unpack it a little bit and I did turn my video off. And since I've done that, it seems like the audio and video have synced up a little bit better. So, um, you mentioned something. I I see all these headlines that COVID-19 is going to cause a housing crash, but what you just explained may actually, uh, COVID may actually cause a housing boom, right? Because the supply is just no longer there.
0: Well, we're, you—we're not—we're not—we're not done having children. We're not done like right. getting a little bit older. The millennials are well, not done. Hopefully,
1: like, my wife and I are.
0: But yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm t- the, 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 it's the royal we, okay? It's, yeah, the, I got gotcha. you. Uh, society, right? <laughs> we're we, we're we're like growing as a population faster than we have before. We have people who are becoming in that kind of world in that time frame of, um, and there's there's an, another interesting thought about all these people that live in apartment buildings that are, um, that are like enclosed or kind of locked in their apartment now can't go out. These are people who are probably like, man, I wish I just had a house, you know, I want to move into a house. And maybe what it does is it takes those people that are waiting until they're 35 years old to get married and have a house and, and settle down and do those kind of things out of the apartments, out of some of that stuff and move into single family uh, houses and buy a house. So I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting with the, I try to always put myself in the other people's shoes, like who's renting right now, who might be looking to buy rates are still really low. Um, yeah, it might be a little, like, I know some of the banks are lifting some of their, um, their bottom lines like chase going to 700 credit score is a little bit ridiculous, but, um, you know, some, most of the other banks are still reasonable. Uh, VA loans are still available, USDA, all that stuff. And they're in the threes. Like if you're complaining about a, a because you were in the two, seven, five before now we're in the three, four, like yeah. if you go back to the eighties where it was like 17 and a half percent, it's it like, it's crazy that we're complaining about 3%. Like get, yeah. I'm a house flipper. Give me money at 3.5%, 4%. I'll take all that you have. If you have a hundred million, I will take it. I'll put it to work. Okay. All day, so, every day. um, so I think, you know, it's, it's just kind of interesting to me. I'm not saying that there's going to be a housing boom, but just because the inventory still isn't there, but like if, if builders are slowing down and stopping, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like there's still this pent up high demand. The demand hasn't changed. Right, and every day that a half a house goes on the market for everyone that goes pending, mm. like, that is a problem, right? That's that's a problem that we can solve if we own houses, we own real estate, we own those things, or we can we know how to add value. And so I think there's, um, I I think coming out of this, we are going to see kind of uh, the biggest thing I think is I think we have to make as as a business owner we have to make like nine months of money in tw- or, or twelve months of money in nine months. Mm -hmm. So I know that I actually like the end of my year has to be more profitable and I have to be more efficient than I was before in order to turn the same profit that I did last year, because I had a bit of a downturn for like a month or two. So as I, so that, and most realtors are probably seeing like maybe they have 3 months of of money that they would normally make that that wasn't there so now that they have to make that make make up that money so if they did the ppp or got in, got into the idle program or some of those things or the employee retention credits or the sick leave fam, family leave all that stuff that's available then maybe that helped them get through the that month or two or three of slowdown and that was the whole purpose of the cares act so i think there's a lot of things that are out there for for people to keep going, and the interesting thing that we saw in in two thousand and one was we saw a loss of jobs and things like that, but as we bounced back, that bounce back was was we, we started getting the jobs back. Like the, the market came back, people started spending money again. So I think we just need to work together to figure out what that looks like. And I, yeah, unemployment is at a, like a kind of a record high, right? But it makes sense. Like there's no, there's no restaurants are open. The, the, the movie yeah. theaters aren't open. You can't go to the mall. You can't, you can't do all that stuff. Of course, unemployment went up. When we can start doing that stuff again, those people are going to start hiring again. And there were people hiring through this. So we did see kind of a shift like Amazon and some of the people that like actually saw an uptick in their business here. And we're gonna see just like a change of, of what we do going forward. So my take on it is that I don't think we should be freak. I think the more we freak out and like, there's people that are... I watch some of the headlines and there's some people that have nothing to do with real estate that are making comments about the real estate market that have no market fundamentals, no idea about it. <laughs> and they're just making comments off the cuff. And all that does is drive a bunch of people to get scared about yeah. um, what could happen in their, in real estate. So I think like where you get your information from is really important, but I, like, look, I'm just a guy in the Southeast that does, you know, a very, in the grand scheme of things, I do a very small number of transactions per year. I mean, 160, 170 is a drop in the bucket for most hedge funds and the bigger players and bigger buyers. And so like, I I see, I see my world and a lot of this is based off like where I stay. And if you're in, if you're flipping $1.5 million houses, you definitely have a different look at at things than I do. And I think you, you, it may be something that you, you, Make a transition at this point, or start deciding. Like, run your numbers. You might need to take a thirty percent reduction from the seller to buy buy deeper, just because of the risk risk tolerance. So, yeah. yeah,
1: great answer, man. So let me ask you this: you you mentioned you have an Airbnb house, you have some multifamily. Obviously, you wholesale and and uh, flip too. What is your What is your portfolio look like right now? I've heard buying. <laughs> uh, so it's good.
0: Yeah, so it's a good question. I have um I have one house that I bought up. In, so I had. My whole goal was to get to like ten single-family A-class rental properties when I started, mm. and make like ten thousand dollars a house, and I'd make another hundred thousand, and then along with my my military flying income, I'd I'd be doing well, right? Two hundred thousand dollars a year, something like that, two twenty-five total. And so I ended up selling all like almost all of those single-family rentals. I sold all of them actually. I just closed on the last one earlier this year. And I bought a turnkey house in Memphis from a turnkey provider about a year and a half ago because I wanted to, I'm a systems guy and I saw their system and I, I wanted to set up a turnkey company down in Pensacola at some point. That was my goal about a year and a half ago. We got way too overloaded to do it, but I wanted to see their system. So I bought a house from them to watch the progress and all that stuff. So I own one in Memphis. Let's see, I, I own an Airbnb house. That's a very interesting story. I actually bought it back from somebody. I flipped it two and a half years ago, three years ago, and um, I I sold it to somebody. They sued me about a year ago, claiming that uh, I didn't disclose something. And instead, they were shaking me down for money. And I could really feel it like the lawyers. And I don't, I don't think it's the seller's fault. I think it's the lawyer's fault. I think they really got their hooks in them and uh, made like the flipper out to be the bad guy. And so instead of like paying them off, I bought the house back um, from them. So I own the house again. So was, I kind of had to fall back into that one. Um, so that I turned that into Airbnb. It was, it does really well in the summer. It kind of like breaks even in the winter. And uh, so I own that one. And then I own a bunch of, I'm a limited partner in a bunch of um, multifamily buildings. So I take my, my active income is my flipping business. And then I put that active income into passive investments, like truly passive. I'm a limited partner in probably like six or 700 multifamily units as a limited partner. I'm a general partner in probably like 150 units of multifamily where I, I raised, I raise a lot of money. I'm very good at that. Um, but I don't do any of the property management running the deal or anything like that. And then, um, I also am a, a small general partner in a, a big storage complex. We have a couple thousand storage units that we're building down in, um, outside of Orlando, Florida. Oh, nice. So nice. probably like uh, overall, maybe the, just like a, a couple thousand units, but like I said, I'm a kind of a small partner, like a general and or one. limited partner in all of those. Yeah. So I usually bring the money. I bring my own money. Uh, I bring other people that I know in. I'm, I'm kind of a, um, like a, a connector and capital raiser in a lot of nice. this stuff.
1: Very nice. By the way, you said you spend 40000 a month in marketing. This is for your wholesale and yeah. flipping business.
0: Holy yeah, crap, between, uh, man. What do you do? Our
1: budget, <laughs> yeah. our budget is, is $43,000 to
0: 47000 a That's yeah. about where we hit each month um, for the past, like,
1: I don't know, year and a half or so. Wow. That's awesome. Um, what do you spend that on? What, what is a, what is a normal, um, breakdown of, of what that looks like? Right. Obviously there's some mailers. I get some of your mailers by the way, uh, or I used to, uh, I sold that property that you you kept sending me. (laughs) I think I've sent you some texts before. Hey man, take me off your list. It's uh, you know, but, um, People yeah, the,
0: I'll tell you right now, it costs me more money to figure out how to get you exactly. off the list than it does and just to
1: continue to mail center, you. Yeah, so I figured that. <laughs> <laughs> but, and
0: but when you, send, you sell it, maybe the next guy will get it and maybe they want go. to sell it again. So you know, <laughs>
1: There so. you go. But you, you send out the postcards. I know you send out postcards what are, and you do some Facebook advertising. You're talking about that. Where do you find most of your leads are coming from? And I know we're getting very down into the weeds, but yeah. where are most of them coming from?
0: No, we can. And, um, so when I got started, uh, direct mail was hundred percent of what I did. And then I went into online advertising. We went more about like 80% of the deals we got was direct mail. And then 20 was online advertising about 20%. And now I, it's, we're around 50, 50. So about half of what we do is direct mail. And the spend is about the same. We spend about 23 grand on direct mail per month. And we've really gotten really tight on our, like our list. Like we, we've strategized a ton of that stuff. We have a lot of, um, like detail that we do with the list. We've, we chopped our marketing expenses for direct mail by 65% and we're actually doing more deals. So nice. we're able to squeeze more money out of less expense. When my marketing manager came on, it's all because of her. She's amazing. And so um, we really kind of looked at the data. I talked about data before we looked at the last like, five years of houses that we bought in zip codes and things. We started chopping the zip codes that just weren't producing as much money as the other ones were. So we got really like, we drilled in really deep on the data. And so that's our direct mail. And we typically go into new markets that way. Um, We'll just kind of test a couple of uh, zip codes that we know perform on the cash basis that uh, there's a lot of demand from the buyers. And so we, that's about half the other half is Google AdWords and Facebook. That's pretty much the way it rolls out. We probably spend, Um, and we probably only just, just to give everybody, and I think it's, it's nice to kind of remove the curtain from this stuff. Um, you hear a lot of people talk about how much money they make on Facebook ads and Google ads and stuff like that. We probably do like three or four deals a month from Google. And we probably do like one to two a month in Facebook. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're doing like 10 deals a month from Facebook ads. Uh, it's just, it's, those people are looking for us. So it's a little less work. We got to spend money to get them. Um, right. But for mail, mail still produces kind of uh, on a consistent basis. So I just look gotcha. at money in and money out. So it's about half and half. And that's yeah. the same. Our deal structure is about the same. I make some, I make about three and a half to three and a half dollars for every dollar I spend. Something like that yes. on some of these channels. Some of them are up from there. Um, if you're, for me, that's the, the margins have, have gotten squeezed lately. Yeah. And, um, I'll be the first person to tell you that it definitely costs it. Like our dollar, our, the amount of money we make on a wholesale assignment fee has gone up, but so has our marketing costs and our marketing yeah. costs. I, I used to be able to get a deal for 1500 bucks a, uh, a deal. And now it costs me anywhere. It's we're somewhere around 3000 in the smaller markets, but we're up at six or 7,000 in the bigger markets like Nashville, very competitive, Anywhere from six to seven thousand dollars to get a deal. That means I have to spend seven thousand dollars before we get a lead that will turn into a deal. And if you think about that, it could—I might have to spend all the way to the fifteen thousand dollars before the second one comes in.
1: Right. So yeah, it's That's uh, just your marketing spend, right, to get one deal. Exactly. Yeah, and my That's overhead is not what you're paying is, for the actual property. That's just your marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And then I have staff and and overhead and things like that. So yep. um, I think I think a good like a business my size needs to make somewhere around three fifty to four dollars to turn the profit that the owner wants to make for every dollar you spend on your marketing uh, yep. expenses. Because it just depends on your size. When it was just me, it was like all profit, right? Me and right. one or two other people, I could make two dollars for every dollar I spent, um, gotcha. and still make money. But as a the bigger business, is, you gotta have a bigger margin.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, you've, you definitely have to spend money to make money. Right. So.
0: Yeah. And that's the interesting thing that people say, like wholesalers don't need any money. Uh, You can get started right away. It's, I'm, I really, the more that I kind of understand this business, know this game, I I think I did it right. I think I I started as a flipper. A lot of people want to start as wholesalers and then move to flippers. Um, Starting as a flipper, if you're, if you're interested in the single family world, um, I really think that starting as a flipper is not a bad thing, but you have to you have to figure out how to raise money. That's the biggest thing for, uh, for yeah. a flipper. If you can raise money and you have access to capital, then um, I think your I think your risk goes down a bit. Uh, as a wholesaler, I have to actually spend money up front before I make it back. So when I tell my story about kind of get in the wholesaling world, it took me four and a half months to to make make that first $10,000 and I was $22,500 in at that time. So I had already <laughs> spent that. If I rolled up shop by then I lost all that money. Yep. If I was a flipper, at least I'd have a house and an asset and some things that I could sell. So, um, it's interesting. Uh, you really, you know, sending marketing out, we don't know when it's going to come back. And that's yeah. uh, probably why a lot of people have like during all this time have kind of slowed down or paused where we've just said, let's keep our foot on the gas. Cause when they pause, I can take over. Exactly.
1: Love that. Love that. Um, All right. So we're coming up on time. I want to make sure we talk about two things. Number one, you have this vet summit coming up. And then after that, you and I've got a little special offer for folks as well. But I want to make sure um, vet summit is actually, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Tell us about the the, uh, summit you've got coming up. So I think this is actually a really good
0: lead in because we talked about house flipping and wholesaling and we talked about some multifamily and apartment investing and stuff. And my, in my mind, I really said like, why do we always, people seem to always kind of start at as like uh, as a wholesaler or a single family housekeeper and then move up into the apartment buildings, or we've got people that have full-time jobs that like want to flip on the side, but don't even realize that there's other things out there in the real estate world, like investing with a turnkey. Like I just gave that, that company $60,000. I have a house I've never seen. I don't know who the tenant is. I, my check just comes in every month I get my payments. So that's true. Like passive, at least, I mean, I have to talk to them every now and then, but it's more, (laughs) more passive. And then we get to really like true passive is like here, apartment syndicator, take my money, you go do it. I'll vet you as a limited partner. And that is passive. Like I just get an email and a check from those guys. And I love that. So there's, if you have money, there's a way to invest in real estate where you actually don't have to get your hands dirty. If you want to flip houses or you want to go to Home Depot and those you can. So what I said, I'm a, I'm, I'm still a reservist in the military. I'm on my 18th year. And so this, these vet communities are, and military communities are kind of like popping up in the real estate world and they're all kind of like spread around and not necessarily working together. So what I said, I do, a, I do live events. I do, um, I do like four live events a year. We have this big conference called Flip Hacking Live that we do for house flippers and wholesalers and basically single family acquisition stuff. And so I have the experience in the last five years of doing events, like live in-person events. I said, let's do a live event in, uh, for the, for military veterans and anybody that wants to show up frankly, but we'll put vets on stage. And what we'll do is make it like a job fair almost where every niche in real estate is talked about and presented to, to, for people to come in and determine where they fit and what what is my personality profile? What do I like? Who do I resonate with? And instead of starting at the bottom, why don't you start like just inject yourself where you fit? And maybe you are a house flipper right now. And you said, I want to get into multifamily, but don't know how great thing to attend, talk to somebody, like listen to their presentation, talk to them and say, Oh, I can see how I can transition from this to that. And, uh, or maybe you're a multifamily investor and just getting kind of burned out. You want to do more velocity and more deals. you say, well, I want to check out like single family house flipping. So the whole concept was like a job fair for anybody to come and see, um, see what's available in all the different areas in real estate and not just be an event. That's about one thing. And, so obviously COVID-19 came and I remember doing the first call with the speakers. We got 20 speakers. They're all either active duty um, veterans or reservists right now. We've got everybody from like an E4 in the Coast Guard who's doing these huge Airbnbs, uh, arbitrage with Airbnb, just doing some awesome stuff to uh, like a, an O5 in the military who's still active duty, who's like an executive officer of a command who's running a turnkey operation. I mean, we have a wide range of people that are going to be on stage. We've got a couple incredible women and moms that are going to come on and talk about how they do it on the side while raising their family. And everybody's got like their story that they're going to tell and then how you can do it. So that's what we put together. Um, It was going to be in St. Louis at the end of May, but obviously COVID-19 came and crushed us. So we have taken it virtual, which I think is, it's kind of a blessing in disguise because a lot of the military members that did want to show up, they couldn't they couldn't go because uh, maybe they're in Japan or they're overseas or somewhere. So we made it a, a two-day virtual event, not uh, not uh, unlike what you just did. And um, that's what it is: May 29th and 30th. It's a virtual event called uh, Veterans REI Live Summit. So you, you just—it's going to be live online. So um, yeah. Veterans REI Live, and if you uh, you don't have to be in the military uh, to attend, anybody can attend. The cool thing is, is um, you know with your ticket you get recordings you get uh, we've got a couple different packages We got a vip that has like my recording from my last year's event at flip hacking live Some other people have rolled out some courses that they usually sell and just donated it um to that middle and then the the, the, the elite vip has um after the event we're going to do an hour long Question and answer with every single speaker record that and package it put in a membership site for them so, um they can attend or not attend, but that's the way to sit down and really like ask questions and dig deep in a small group, uh, right? we have only sold a couple of those right now so you know we have 10 20 uh, people on that call instead of hundreds on the yeah. on the big call and we can kind of dive into more personal situations so that's the structure of it um, uh, the best part is like 100% of this the money like i'm not making any money off of this the speakers have bought tickets so um, they they're they're not they're not just like getting paid for this they're actually get, bringing money in they bought tickets they bought tickets to the main event we all did and then i asked them all if they want a refund since we're going virtual and they said, no, nah, just leave it in the pot. Nice. And that's when the ticket prices were more, we've dropped the ticket prices significantly for this. So if anybody's interested in that, it's cool. We, you can attend, you can kind of skip it and get the recordings. You can do lots of, you can attend half, get the recordings, but I think it's a, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I can't wait. The lineup is massive. So yeah, veteranslive.com. They can go grab a ticket if they want.
1: Veterans live or veterans REI live. No veteran veterans live.com. So
0: that was a domain I that I had road. to pay a lot of money for so, uh, bet. yeah, <laughs> veterans So bill. Yeah. X, and, but X. Uh, X. our plan, our plan is to leapfrog into, um, into our live event next year. So, gotcha. um, gotcha. I, I still want to do this. This is a passion of mine. I want to change, uh, military folks lives. And if you know a yeah. military member, invite them to this, like, this is a great place for them to, uh, yeah. to realize that there's something outside their life.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, incredible, incredible stuff you're doing. So we are running up on time. Uh, real quick, you and I were chatting before um, before I started hitting record and you mentioned, hey, let's do something to try to get, uh, you know, well, let me back up. A couple of weeks ago, I hosted the W2CAP Summit where we were raising money for Operation Underground Railroad. And if you're watching the video, that's the shirt you've got on, right? Uh, abolish. Uh, I am abolish. Nist. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm an abolitionist. Abolitionist. <laughs> I like abolitionist because I can't pronounce <laughs> words properly. Uh, but it's it's a tricky one. Nobody is, knows what it is. It is. Um, but it, it's one of those things where you know we have talked about. Uh, I talked about Operation Underground Railroad and the amazing things they're doing uh, for the expected or anticipated two million kids worldwide that are affected by child sex trafficking. it's crazy to think of how that still goes on in, in today's society. So the summit we put on, my goal this year is to still, still raise $50,000 for this year. Um, the summit was a kickoff to that. We're right at 8,900, I think for, for so far you can get access to all those replays at w2capsummit.com. But before we hit record for this, Bill, you offered something. I'm going to let you take the mic from here, but you offered us uh, to 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 get that up to ten grand, what were you what were you talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know I've only got a couple minutes with you, so I'll be fast. Um, I am the Tennessee director for volunteers for OUR. So I'm a volunteer. I love it. It's a huge passion of mine. We raise money for this uh, charity at our event, Flip Hacking Live every year. Uh, it's my goal to do 250000 I want to figure out how to raise a million in a year for them. So that's a big goal of mine. So I, obviously, and before I asked Jay, like, where are we at? He said, we're just under $9,000. I said, let's get to 10. Like by the time this airs and shortly after, let's figure out how to do that. So um, hopefully this pushes some of the other speakers to match my $2,500 donation while we were there. Like I want to push people to figure out like how I'm what are you using your stimulus check for? What are you doing yeah. with all the money that the government's giving you that you probably don't need? So yep. like figure out, and if you need it, fine. But my, my biggest thing is like, I'll take that money and, and put it to a charity, no problem. So, yeah. um, for, so for me, I, I think a great way to go here is if you're listening to this and you say like go to ourfilm.org and watch the documentary. After you watch the documentary, go to Jay's link and figure out how much money you want yeah. to give to save a kid. Because uh, of those 2 million kids, half a million of them are right here in the United States. And so that is a big eye opener. You'll never look at things the same way. So my suggestion is we, um, uh, and Jay, I'll see what you think, but leave Jay a rating and review to his podcast um, and screenshot your, your donation, email it to, to Jay. And then what I'll do is I'll match. I'll match, it into, I'll match your donation until we get to 10,000. Awesome. So I'm ready right now to match whatever it's going to take 500, 600 bucks additional on top of uh, what I've thrown in the pot. Cause I want to get him to 10 grand. Cause I know it's like going from zero to one house. You go to 10,000, <laughs> that 10,000 to 50,000, it becomes a lot easier. So yeah. let's get to five figures.
1: And you can do that very easily. We set up very easily for you to, to donate just text w 2 A P. To four one you're going to get a link right to the donation page and one of the things too so what i offered during the summit and i'll, I'll do this as well if you donate 150 dollars, uh, i'll send you one of the t-shirts which i turn my camera off you can't really see them but they're the super 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 comfy t-shirts so that we've got if you do more than 200 dollars, i'll send you an entire swag bag which is a couple of t-shirts a water bottle while they last i don't have too many water bottles left uh but yeah Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much uh, for everything you're doing. You're an inspiration to me. I know the Veterans Life thing is going to be awesome and to continue to do the work for Operation Underground Railroad is, is incredible. Um, it, matter, it has me excited to do more. Matter of fact, that $50, $50, $10, $10, yeah, that 50,000 goal actually came from you, right? So uh, that's yeah. That's, and, uh, and hopefully me
0: sharing my 250,000 goal makes that 50,000 dollar goal
1: seem achievable for you. It, no problem. So
0: I'll raise 250 by the end of this year. That's my goal.
1: All right. So. Sounds good. All brother. Right. I got to get going. As you and I, I talked, know. I have another commitment of 11 that I felt to block out my schedule when we did this, but thank you again. I appreciate it. We will uh, I'll talk with you soon. All right. All right, Jay. See you. Bye. Thanks, bro. Hey, one quick question. I forgot to ask you. I'm still recording. Best way for people yeah. to get in touch with you. Oh, um, go to sevenfigureflipping.com.
0: The number sevenfigureflipping.com. Seven
1: yeah, I'll and link to can, that uh, and and veterans in Veterans Live in the show notes. Uh, sorry about that. I, both of us forgot that. I'm, I'm looking at the clock and getting stressed out. Anyway. <laughs> it's
0: all good, man. Don't leave your fans waiting. Don't leave your fans waiting. All right, your fans waiting. All Thank right. you, Bill. I'll see, see
1: you. Bye, Jeff.